Covert bug out camping? Hmm. I have 10 military secrets for you coming right up. Let's talk tactics. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face and your role as a protector and a patriot. And welcome to podcast episode number 199. Yes, we are one away from 200 episodes. This is awesome. It's probably the longest I've ever done anything in my entire life. I usually I'm kind of a slacker with stuff like this. But we've been going religiously now for every single week for the last 199 weeks. And uh, the next issue that's coming up or the next broadcast is coming up is going to be number 200. And I can't wait. We're going to have something special lined up for you to celebrate. You can help out by going over to our podcast and giving us a five-star review if you like the podcast. If you don't like the podcast, don't go over and give it any stars. Like, save all the hating for for private, if you will. But um, we are trying to get the word out. We have a lot of great followers out there, a lot of listeners all around the world, actually, a lot of military, a lot of military contractors we get contacted from that really love the broadcast. And uh, we'd love to get your help in getting the word out. So please make sure that you share our podcast. Go ahead and give it a five-star review. Give us a comment over on iTunes, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And for this episode, you know, we started going over this last, um, well, this year's broadcast, and there was one episode that really stuck out as being really popular, and that was the one that we just recently did, or I recently did, on bug-out retreats. Basically, where, you're, where are you going to go in a disaster or a crisis? Like, what are the best ways to plan a Plan B retreat? for bugging out if you're forced to evacuate your home and get to another place that's safe. We got a ton of great feedback as well as a lot of downloads for that for that broadcast. And so what I wanted to do was share with you, kind of expand on that topic a little bit with the, well, with 10 military, I call them secrets, but they're not so secret to everybody, especially if you've been in the military. But for a lot of people in the way that you are planning, if you have to evacuate uh, the way that you are planning might not be doing it the right way. In fact, some of the things, as we've been saying here relatively recently, well, we've been saying it all the time, but recently we've been doing a lot of these like the biggest mistakes type broadcasts, and there's a reason for that. It's because mistakes can get you killed in a real crisis, and a lot of people are following things that they think are the right way to do things when actually it could be threatening you even more. So what I want to do is expand upon the topic that we were talking about before with bug out retreats and give you um, some like basically a top 10 list of things from a military standpoint, from things from my experience in the military of how you should plan your basically your your mid retreat uh, evacuation, if you will. So if you have to put up somewhere that is not your ultimate destination, if you are going to, quote unquote, camp out somewhere, 
uh, on your way to safety, then these are some of the things that you definitely want to take into account in order to stay as under the radar as possible so not everybody else is there to target you. Now, why is that important? Well, look, we always believe in hoping for the best and planning for the worst. So I know that not everybody that listens to our broadcast is really kind of like the, the, the true prepper, hardcore prepper type. Um, and you just want to have like a survival kit, maybe some candles, a little bit of canned goods at home. Maybe not all that really, not, maybe not all that into the topic, but if you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you know that my experience in, in both in disasters, real world disasters, as well as in looking at in analyzing other uh, disasters that are out there is look at the reality of what happens. Now, the, the event that most people revert back to as a really good example is during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans in the Superdome where all of the travesty and the horrific events that happen there when you stick all these people in one location who have just lost everything, right? We know about murders, rape, things like that that were happening there, theft, uh, beatings. Just It was obviously a really isolated type incident that we're talking about there, but it is a possibility under those same conditions. It's not like we've really learned our lesson from all of that. The bottom line is that you could get trapped in an event like that. You don't have to live in New Orleans or in an urban environment even to be able to experience the human factor and the, the human threat that happens in a crisis. Even if it's not a nationwide crisis, even if it's something local, you can have that, those kind of bleed over, that spillover into your area. But we always want to hope for the best, right? We always want to pull together and, and with our neighbors and, and get back on our feet and things like that. But you do have to plan for the worst. The best can happen. I've seen it happen. Uh, I've seen neighbors pull together. I've seen our entire country pull together. But I've also seen neighbors turn against one another. I have seen the country divided. And especially these days, I think we're more divided than ever. So you really have to plan for worst case scenario in that kind of an event. Okay. Um, a crisis might not be a short-term crisis. It could be a longer crisis. So something that is going to last longer, uh, people tend to get more depressed and scared and afraid and desperate a lot earlier, especially if they're not getting the resources that they need to be able to sustain their families. If the government can't come in there and take care of everybody, which is what most people are counting on, then as time goes on, people are going to become more and more of a threat. You could also get trapped along your way to evacuation. So you might have a plan B retreat set up. You could have it uh, ready to go to. You could be on your way there, but you could get trapped along the way. Maybe it's because the highways are completely jammed up. It's com you can't get past it. Um, there are ways around that. We talk about that in our in our webinar and in our book, uh, the Survival Kit Bug Out Bag book. All of those things we talk about um, having alternative options there. But it might just be a matter of um, you should be taking multiple vehicles on your path anyway. So it's it's not like you can just trade off with another driver. If you can, that's great, and just kind of you know work your way to your retreat. But you might just want to put up for the night somewhere and be again away from people so that you are not. You're not in the line of fire, if you will, of other people that are desperate and looking for your stuff. And that is what happens when people are in desperation and they're spending their what happens is they end up spending their time thinking about their situation. They get really down, especially if they have a spouse or a family that are hungry, that are nagging at them about to, you know, to do something. If they start witnessing other events happening, like people getting robbed, people 
um, being ignored that are that are desperate and and other people don't you know they, they turn a shoulder to them because everybody is taking care of themselves. If you start to see those things happening, people get down even more and they start to become more desperate for somebody to give them a solution, somebody to come in, swoop in and rescue them, take care of them. And if they don't get that, what they end up starting to do is to look outside of themselves. They're looking for anything that they can hold on to. Kind of like you're drowning out there in the water. You would hold on to a stick that you found in the water if you thought that it was somehow going to keep you keep your head above water, right? The same thing happens in an environment where it's a collapsed environment. It's a natural disaster. It's going to go on for an extended period of time. Resources are, are bare. People start looking for any little thing that they can grab onto. You don't want that thing they grab onto to be you, your family, your supplies. So it's really necessary that you go as far under the radar as possible when and on your way to safety. All right. So what we're going to be talking about are it's kind of like where you're going to put up either for the night. This would also apply to your ultimate destination as well. Uh, because of the same types of things, even if you get to your safety retreat, again, you want to be under the radar there. You don't want people to know that you're there. You don't want people to know that you have resources there. Now, I, I actually could have a much longer list of what I'm going to give you, but I am going to give you the top 10 things that first came to mind based upon my military experience to be able to give you some insights in how to, how to lay low and how to go covert in your bug out desk, in your bug out site. All right. But before we get started, I want to make sure that you remember that we do all the heavy lifting for you, so don't worry about taking notes. We have show notes already set up for you right now that include audio, transcription, and our handy-dandy one-page little cheat sheet that you can use for reference later on. All you have to do is go on over to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 199 and download it all for free right now. Okay, all right, so for this uh, list, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about four different areas. We're going to talk about movement. We're going to talk about equipment, site selection, and living considerations as well. So uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is going to be movement. So the number uh, tip number one is to know your destination. Now this this matters even if you aren't at your final destination, or even if you don't know where you're going to go. Let's say that you get trapped somewhere. Let's say that you um, you 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 hit that that parking lot on the on the highway and you are able to at least maybe backtrack or something like that. The key here is going to be to have a topographical map and be able to read it. I've talked about this before and how this is an important kind of military skill, if you will, that people have gotten away from, even people in the military actually, because now with the use of GPS, a lot of times people will use the GPS and they won't back it up with some sort of a topographical map. Top, uh, yeah. Now, this is important because... I can tell you that when it was um when we were looking around for our our objective or if we had a, a site designated in the military that we were going to putting in for the night, then oftentimes if we couldn't find it, especially if we were traveling at night, which is going to be one of the things we're going to be talking about here. But um, what ends up happening is that people get really frustrated. They start swearing. You you start going through the bushes and you're making a lot of noise. You get lost. You get frustrated. Um you you don't want that to happen. So having a topographical map on topographical map on you and knowing where you are at all times is going to be really helpful for that because if you can read the map then you can look for areas site selection which we are going to be talking about that will benefit you in staying out of people's view out of their um basically off of their radar, okay? 
but you want to know where your destination is. If you don't know how to read a topographical map, then just go ahead and you can, I'm sure you can find things online. There's, there's things on YouTube. There are programs that are out there on reading a map. Um, so there are places that you can do there. But what you're looking for are you looking for roads? You might even be able to find trails around the thing that stopped you in the first place. So if you reach that parking lot on the highway, you might be able to find either back roads, power lines, uh, railroad lines, trails, things like that that other people might not think of because they're not thinking outside the box. But you may be able to find those to be able to stay on your way. But you'll also be able to look at that map to be able to find a location that you can put down in. Even if you don't hit that that obstacle that stops you in your tracks, if you're going to put in for the night, you definitely want to take a look at where you are and what topography is around you that's going to either benefit you or something you want to stay away from. Maybe it's an urban area. Maybe it is you know, houses that you can find on the map or, or things like that, you want to make sure that you know what they are. Okay. So that is tip number one is know what your, know your destination and the topography. Okay. Tip number two is to take advantage of the dark by moving at dusk. Now dusk is, is the best time to move because that is the time where everything is kind of fuzziest out there, right? Like you don't need light yet because it's still pretty, it's getting dark, but it's not daylight anymore. So you still have light to be able to work with. The times that we would normally attack an objective was either going to be at dusk or at dawn. It wasn't oftentimes in the middle of the night, um, although that's changed a lot with technology these days. Uh, however, we would always hit either at dusk or at dawn. And the reason for that is, is because it is harder to be seen during those times, even more so than at night oftentimes. Um, so moving at dusk is going to help to conceal your movement. Um, if you do have a vehicle, uh, you don't want to have lights on upon final entry to your location. So headlights are going to really give away your location, obviously, especially in a time where if it's a crisis where fuel lines are fuel, gas pumps are down, people don't have fuel. Seeing a vehicle's headlights moving across the horizon is going to be a dead giveaway that here's somebody who obviously has uh, resources that we don't have, let's go follow the headlights. Uh, so you definitely want to make sure that you are not using your lights if you are using your vehicle at, uh, at least upon final entry to your location. So if you know where you're going to go and you can drive in at least close to where you are going to put up for the evening, uh, then you want to make sure that you turn off your vehicle lights. Now this is where night vision goggles really come in handy so that you can turn off your lights and you can use your night vision goggles. Now, one of the problems with that, though, is that with night vision goggles, you don't have depth perception because you're, you're not, you're, your eyes are kind of perceiving depth, but you're not getting actual depth from the, uh, from the night vision goggles. So you have to be kind of careful about that. One of the things that can help you out with getting um, uh, more, of a, more of a view out there when you are using night vision goggles is to have an infrared flashlight that's pointed out in front of you. It can even be pointed outside the the window, if you will. And you can pick these up for as little as just like, you know, $10 on Amazon for an infrared flashlight. Just put it out there and wearing night vision goggles, it will it'll it'll look like daylight almost. It'll really like there's a big difference. I mean, you'll be able to see with just the night vision goggles, you put an IR light out there and it allows you to travel faster because you are going to have more, uh, you're going to have more visibility in front of you. Okay. All right. But taking advantage of the dark is going to help to mask your movement, especially if you're going into, into your location that you're going to be in for the night. Okay. All right. Now let's talk about equipment. <clears throat> when it comes to equipment, I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but you want to be tactical, but not look tactical. 
So in the military, that means we wear camouflage, right? We avoid things like bright orange, bright red, things like that. But when you look at survival gear that's out there, what do you see? You see a lot of things that are either bright orange because it's rescue type survival gear. I mean, most of the time when people are thinking like survival gear, you want to be rescued, right? If you're lost in the wilderness, you want to be rescued. Uh, orange has become kind of the symbolic color of survival and rescue and emergency preparedness, wilderness survival and things like that. But in the military, we don't use bright orange because it obviously attracts attention, right? We use camouflage. But when it comes to a crisis, you don't want to use camouflage. You don't want to look like some military tactical prepper out there because that signals to everybody else around you that might see you that you are somebody who's prepared and you might have resources that they want. And what happens? They end up asking. Asking turns to begging. Begging turns to demanding. Demanding turns to taking, potentially by force, right? So you want to make sure that you are tactical, but that you don't look tactical. Now, that's why we always say that blue is best because especially during the evening time, well, during the daylight, blue is a recreational color, so it doesn't activate somebody's, um, their kind of, their, their, their radar, we call it the, um, the reticular activation system, which is basically your brain's way of, of instantly just kind of finding things that don't look right. Uh, a camouflage backpack, um, <laughs> while it's, it's camo is at, would actually activate somebody's reticular activation system in their brain and say, Hey, what, something's not right. That, that person looks different. Oh, that's a prepper. Let me go find out if they have resources. Okay. So you definitely want to, um, you want to be, you want to look, you don't want to look tactical. That's why our, our X-Bob uh, bug out bags are blue because they are a recreational color, but blue is also an invisible color at night with the light spectrum. The eye does not pick up the color blue very well. So it's actually almost invisible during uh, evening hours. Okay. So that's one thing is you want to avoid those bright colors and you want to avoid camouflage. Um, the other thing, and this is all coming from military experience here, but camouflage net. So one of the things that I have uh, on top of my vehicle that I can quickly just pull into a location that I want to be off the beaten path here is I have a camo net, the kind that is typically used in the military to go over top of vehicles or tents and things like that. Uh, it's just a, it's a camouflage net. I literally got this thing for $10 at a garage sale. Now I've seen them at flea markets and things like that for $25, $50. Um, I've grabbed a couple myself and I got one for $10 that was brand spanking new. And all I basically do is put this on the, the luggage carrier on top of my vehicle along with my other gear that is inside of a, a zip up, uh, luggage carrier pack, if you will, so nobody can see what's inside of there. But all I need to do is just unzip it, take the net out, it rolls over top of my vehicle. It can be stuck up there with either uh, camo net poles, or you can even just use sticks and things like that if you want to. But it's an easy way to camouflage your vehicle so that people can't see your location, whether it's from the air or from the side or anything. It's a great way to just instantly camouflage your vehicle very quickly. Um, it rolls out, it rolls right back up. You just kind of roll it up, you know, just kind of roll it like a towel and uh, just zip it all back up on top of the vehicle. It takes literally just a couple minutes and you're good to go there. Okay. So that's one thing that I also recommend uh, when it comes to where you're going to sleep. Yes, you can sleep inside of your vehicle, but um, if, 
one of the things I recommend is that you might possibly look at just being away from your vehicle. That way, if your vehicle is found, you are not inside of it at that time. Um, it's entirely up to you. I've recommended both. Um, I really don't have a preference one way or the other, but depending upon the circumstances, you might not actually want to be inside of your vehicle. Uh, you want to be away so that if somebody starts messing around with your vehicle, you can still hear them. You can take appropriate action, but you didn't get surprised when you were sleeping inside of the driver's seat. Again, it's really dependent upon the situation that you're in right there. But if you're not going to be in your vehicle, you want to make sure that I don't recommend having any sort of a tent. Um, I recommend that you use something like a poncho. And um, so we have military. I have a military poncho. I also have a black version of the military poncho as well. Uh, they're just really good quality. Um, you've heard me talk about this before that I'm not a big fan of tents. They're just, uh, you know, they just take, take too long to go up and go down. Now, the other side of that is I don't have one of these. I was looking to get one, but there are tents that uh, literally are all already together. And um, you basically just, they're like, they just pop up, like kind of like a pop-up book, right? Like when you're a kid, but these things literally just kind of pop right up. And I like these things. I mean, I think they're kind of cool. Um, I don't have one, but I, if anybody has one out there, I'd love to hear from you and uh, and go ahead and uh, let me know about it, okay? Um, all right, but having a, uh, a poncho is uh, makes a really good a really good backup there for a tent. I also recommend people have a mosquito net. There are a lot of reasons why I recommend people have a mosquito net. Um, one to keep the mosquitoes away, right? If you're going to be outside, uh, trust me, you need your sleep as much as possible. If you are have insects buzzing around you, it is really hard to get to sleep. Uh, even I've, been, I've spent many a, a restless night out in the field where just swatting mosquitoes all night and not getting any sleep. But the other thing is that the mosquito net, especially I like the one from the military that we have. It's a really good quality one. It's a large one, actually. So you can use it in a lot of different ways. But um, it actually makes for good camouflage covering. Uh, for this, the military one, you can see through it, obviously, but it's also green, so it helps you to blend in. It works really, really well. And uh, so there's a lot of different uses for it. You can even use it for trapping fish and things like that. All right. Uh, tip number four is fast up, fast down. In the military, we never knew, uh, one, we wanted to maximize our sleep as much as possible. We never knew when we were going to be in the location we were kind of bedding down for for any period of time. So you want to make sure you got it up very, very quickly. So this is kind of going back to when we're talking about the, uh, the using a poncho instead of a tent. Well, you want things to be able to go up really quickly because you want to be able to bed down. Uh, you don't want to waste a lot of time. You don't want to waste a lot of energy either, right? You want to conserve calories as much as possible when you're evacuating. And so just having it as easy as possible, having a poncho and just a couple of bungee cords to make a quick lean to is all we ever did. It's all you ever need to do. Uh, the other thing is that if you do need to hightail it out of the area and get out of Dodge, that you don't want something that you have to take all the tent poles out and things like that either, right? So that way, if all, if all you have is a couple of bungee cords and you just throw the, you, you grab the poncho, stick it in the back of your vehicle or in your backpack, uh, it, it's just really fast up, really fast down. You need to be able to, to ingress and egress as quickly as possible, all right? That's tip number four. Tip number five is uh, we're going to go into site selection now. So tip number five is you don't want to be near resources that will draw other people. In the military, that meant not being near where the enemy could be or where the enemy could find us. 
So you need to look at an evacuation scenario as other people being the enemy. So you don't want to go to places where other people are going to be drawn to or where they could find you. So you don't want to be near resupply points, for example. A lot of people, you'll end up, you'll end up seeing like refugee points, if you will. Um, they could be actual FEMA camps. They could be Red Cross centers, places that are set up specifically for relief for the mass population. The Superdome during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans is an example of one of those, right? Well, you don't want to be even near those kinds of locations. Uh, you want to be close enough where you can get resupply if you need to, but you want to be far enough away from other things that people would be drawn to, whether those are grocery stores, if it's an urban area, or even water sources, well-known water sources that people might be going to. You might find out in the area that there is a water source, where maybe it's a park, maybe it's a, a campground. Who knows what it is, but you might find out that there's that um, you're going to hear word that pe where people are going for resources, you don't want to go to those locations. You want to note where they are and stay away from there. Okay, so you want to make sure that you are not choosing a site where there are going to be other people around you. All right. Seems kind of obvious, but trust me, people end up doing it, especially since uh, people that are unprepared tend to want to flock with other people because it, you, there's a perception that there's going to be other resources there. There's a perception that where people are, the government is going to come in and take care of those people. So you, you want to stay near them. But also people don't like to be alone in these type of scenarios. They want to be with other people and they congregate with them. They end up even starting tribes, if you will. It's a very tribal nature for us to want to be part of a tribe. And so people tend to want to gravitate toward there. You want to do the opposite. Okay. Okay. That was tip number five. Tip number six is to use natural terrain to your advantage when you're choosing your site. So you don't want to silhouette yourself. So you don't want to have something that's on a skyline on top of a hill somewhere. You don't want anything where you're going to silhouette yourself against the sky or, or, or other, you know, well lit up areas. You want to be away from well lit up areas. If there's, you know, parking lots or, um, urban areas, things like that. You don't want to be near those where even where you could be silhouetted where people would, um, because people are drawn to light. Um, but also you don't want to silhouette yourself against that light. Okay. Even if it's just moonlight or just the skyline, even at night, you can still silhouette yourself. So you want to make sure that you are not silhouetting yourself and you're using terrain to your advantage. Again, you want to have a fast exit route plan. So you want to be able to, you want to know the terrain around where you're at so that you have a couple of egress options there if you do need to get out, either because of the disaster itself or because other people are coming up your way. You need to be able to egress out of the area very, very quickly and know how you're going to do it. And um, you want to use the terrain to mask your movement in if you can. So if you can use hills to your advantage by going in uh, you know, gullies or wadis, if you live in like a desert type area, um, you want to use the terrain to your advantage. You just want to be very careful also because the reason why there are, you know, draws in, on, on hilltops and, and, and where those ravines are is because water typically goes through there. So you want to be very careful, if, especially if it's a disaster that's like a hurricane, flash flooding. Those types of events or those types of disasters, uh, water, especially where I live in Texas, flash floods happen very, very quickly. So you want to be very careful about where you're actually putting putting yourself up. I can tell you that I was stupid enough in the military one time to, I put my, put my hooch in a, a nice little dugout area that I thought was really nice and comfy, cozy. 
And uh, it turned out it rained that night, and basically I, I put my hooch up inside of a what ended up being like a bath, nature's bathtub. I literally woke up in about three to four inches of water, um, just completely soaked. So you want to be very careful. Think about worst case scenario, what's going to happen and where you're putting that up. Okay. Okay. Uh, tip number seven is to consider going high with a canopy hammock. So, um, this is, this, this is something you can um, you can consider for a few different reasons. Uh, canopy camping has become kind of a popular, it's kind of becoming a popular trend. And essentially what we're talking about is putting a hammock up inside of the trees and camping up in the trees like you're some kind of ape, right? Well, there are some reasons for this. My friend Kevin Reeve, who has OnPointTactical.com and runs uh, several survival camps, most notably the Urban Escape and Evasion course that um, that I've taken, highly recommend going and checking out Kevin's uh, Kevin's course over at OnPointTactical.com. And one of the things that he let us know about was that when people were trying to stay covert, even in urban areas, what they would end up doing is going up into the trees and nobody could find them. And what we found is that people tend not to look up when they are searching an area. I mean, I, I learned this the hard way in a, in a military exercise. Some of you may have heard me say this before, but um, it was an urban setting. We were, uh, it was a training event. It was in an urban, it was an urban warfare tr- uh, setting. And I fought my way all the way up. Uh, we were on the offense. Uh, we fought my way all the way through this building. We got all the way up to the top of the roof. I opened up the door to that, that leads out onto the roof and was surprised to find like six people, quote unquote, dead. You know, they were they were training dead, but they were right there at my feet when I opened up the door. And I thought, hmm, somebody must be like behind that that barrier over there on the other side of the roof. And uh, so I started to inch my way out. And all of a sudden I heard bang. And then my my laser gear went off. I was dead. And what it was, was there was just one person on top of the roof of the, uh, the little, like, you know, the door, the door top roof uh, that goes out onto the roof there, just waiting for people to come up because everybody would creep outside of that door and nobody would look up and think that anybody was on top of where over where the door was. And there was just somebody sitting on top of there just waiting for the next person to come out. Boom. That next person was me. I laid down in the massive pile of dead bodies there. Other people came out of the door. Eventually, they got hit too. So I can tell you that most people do not look up when they're searching an area. So canopy camping is something that you might want to consider as an alternative, putting a putting a hammock up inside of the trees and, uh, and camping out there instead of on the ground. Now, the other reason that I suggest that you might want to do this is because this is how we slept when we were, when I was in Panama. Okay. So I was down there. I was down there for just call. I was actually down there for a year and um, spent a lot of time in the jungle. And trust me, um, even when I was in the States and I was uh, out there on missions, even with my military hooch, I can tell you there were, there were so many times that I had critters right on top of my sleeping bag. Like I would have, I would have um, um, raccoons that would come into my hooch they literally had a raccoon sit on my legs one time. Freaked me out, man. But um, so there's that stuff. Snakes in the uh, in Panama. We had spiders. I mean, there's all kinds of things on the ground there, right? So we had to be in a hammock in order just to keep the critters off of us. Um, so that's one other thing that you might want to think about. Is uh, it's really great to keep the critters off as well. Okay, so so consider that 
as well. All right, so now, and that was tip number seven. Now let's go into the last three, which are going to go into living considerations. And this really comes down to, are you in your space there in a covert way? And what I mean by that is, tip number eight is, are you taking into consideration smells? So um, especially in the evening time when you don't have vision, your other senses are heightened, but your other senses are much more acute than you even even think about. In fact, um, smell is is the number one sense that people have. It's the most sensitive sense that people have, um, even triggering memory. Um, so smells, if you've ever smelled like um, something that reminded you of grandma's cooking or something, right? Or of a, um, of you know, just I'm sure you've had that experience there. Well, our, our bodies are very susceptible to smell. We just don't think about it because we don't think of it as a primary uh, sense that we have. But smells really travel very far. Cigarettes. If you are a smoker, um, the smell of cigarettes will tra- can travel uh, literally miles. That You can smell that those cigarettes depending upon you know, the, the weather function, things like that. It can actually travel for quite a way. So cigarettes are going to trigger other people to know that there's somebody in the area. Same thing goes with a fire. So the smell of a fire, we all know what that's like. Uh, fires will draw people out. So I recommend that you not have fire. Look, in the military, we didn't, we didn't have fires. <laughs> we didn't build fires. Why? Because the enemy can see fires. They can smell fires. There was no, there were no fires. Um, cooking is another thing. So cooking smells can draw other people, especially if food is scarce, right? So you want to make sure that you are not, Cooking something that has a lot of smell to it. Um, try not to cook if you don't need to. You can use solid fuel tabs if you need to heat something up. Uh, but you definitely want to make sure that you are not using anything that is going to, or doing anything that's going to create smells that might draw other people. Tip number nine is using light discipline. So we always said, we already said that you don't want to have a fire. Well, that's absolutely true. Um, that is obviously going to send a light out there in the evening time. Um, but you also don't want to use a flashlight if you don't have to. You can use night vision goggles like we talked about already. Uh, nowadays, night vision goggles are really inexpensive. You can get them pretty cheaply. So you can use that. Uh, I can tell you that we never, I never brought a flashlight out to the field because we did not use flashlights out in the, in the field very often. At least when I was in the 10th Mountain Division, we were really hardcore with that. Like no flashlights. Um, if we did, we had a red lens. So any other place that I was at, we either used a red lens or a green lens because red and green, the light does not go as far as white light that can be seen relatively far. Uh, so you definitely want to use a filter if you are going to use a red or a green light. You can even muffle it. Uh, you can muffle the, the light by putting your hand around the lens and only letting a little bit out. You can use a chem light, like a yellow chem light or something like that, that will Give you some, um, give you some light, but also keep the, uh, the light down. But you, de- you want to definitely want to make sure that you're not spreading a lot of light out there that, again, is going to draw a lot of people. Okay. And finally, tip number 10 is noise discipline. And I can tell you that this is the number one thing that I've found to be the biggest giveaway of other people. All right. Especially if it is in the evening time. If we were in an ambush position, you could hear people coming along a road. You can hear cars. You can hear people walking. Uh, especially in the early morning, super early morning hours where things are really still, sound travels much farther. So you definitely want to make sure that noise discipline. So that includes things that you might not normally think about, like weapon sounds, right? So look, 
an AR-15 uh, bringing the uh, the bolt back and, and letting the bolt go forward makes a very distinct sound. The racking of a shotgun makes a very distinct sound. The racking of a slide on a handgun makes a very distinct sound. That's going to, if anybody hears that, if anybody's within earshot of that, that is going to activate their their brain's radar because that is a sound that the brain will pick up on. They don't even have to consciously think about it. They'll they will, that sound will automatically ring in to the brain. It'll, it'll 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 enter the brain and that will trigger somebody to know that hey, there's a weapon nearby. So if you're cleaning a weapon, things like you know you don't you don't want to be making a lot of weapon like sounds out there. Okay, that goes especially for shooting. So if you're out there trying to hunt. On your way there, well, it's best not to use, it's best not to try and go hunting along the way. So if you do have to, that's why we recommend a 22, especially if you have any sort of a silencer using subsonic ammunition, then that's going to help you as well. But um, you definitely, like a 22 is not going to make as much noise as something like a 9mm, a 308, a 223, anything like that. So you definitely want to not use a firearm if you don't have to, right? Uh, pots and pans are a huge thing, man. People, you know, hitting pots and pans. You can anybody that's ever been camping with the Boy Scouts, you know, when the next campsite, or even the campsite, a few campsites down, uh, they got done with dinner because you can hear the clanging of pots and pans being cleaned. So you want to be very careful about that kind of stuff as well. Um, if you are walking backpack frames, this is why I don't recommend external frames. Even the old military packs that we had that had external frames, uh, they squeak a lot. They, um, they can have other things that are banging against them. I don't recommend, especially metal frames, but I don't recommend uh, exterior frames, anything. Car doors are another thing. You want to make sure that you muffle car doors being, being closed for obvious reasons. Uh, here's something. If you have a, if you have a dog, um, especially one that, that likes to bark, you need to be very careful about that, right? Most people are not going to leave their pets behind. But if you do have a dog with you, you want to make sure that if it is a barker, that you are not um, letting it bark where other people can hear. So you might want to keep it in the vehicle um, during that time. Uh, I would definitely invest in a muzzle uh, for your dog if uh, if not you know, just for just for the purposes of if you are in a bug out scenario and you don't want people to know that you have a know where you are and you have to keep your dog uh, dog's mouth shut. The way to do that is with a muzzle. All right. So um, that is uh, that's one thing you might want to think about as well. All right. So those are 10 military secrets for uh, for bug out uh, for covert bug out site uh, camping, if you will. All right. Uh, again, you can pick up all of the notes for this, including the cheat sheet by going over to www.mcsmagazine.com slash one nine nine. And please go ahead and give us a shout out on the uh on the blog in the comments by giving us some of your other tips, but also in iTunes as well. Give us a, give us that five star rating and let us know that you're loving the broadcast. Okay. And until the next modern combat and survival broadcast, which is going to be episode number 200. Yay. This is Jeff Anderson saying, prepare, train and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. 
You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.